I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They, they just gatekeep knowledge. You know, they're, they're to- total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these, these pricks at the hell that lie to us. It's... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. They're, they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, right? it, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the Great Deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. I never used to question before, and now I question everything. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to fold it in. And welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. We have reached part three of Jim Mars's The Rise of the Fourth Reich. And guys, this one is... Probably the most eye-opening one out of the three. Um, I found the first one to have the most uh, relevant, like historical information. <clears throat> the The second part where we looked at, you know, the rat lines and the Galen organization and the space race and things like that. Uh, it was that was, you know. In between, there were some some good facts in there and, and probably some filler, as, as we like to say. But this episode, we're, we're going to get into some more stuff and <clears throat> how it pertains today, how we got here, how it's affecting different aspects of our life that we might not even be aware of, especially people who are unfamiliar with the CIA mind control programs and the education, the history of our education system with the, the Rockefeller influence and the same thing with the medicine and the medical side of things and the Rockefeller influence there and how we went from homeopathic to allopathic medicine based on pharmaceutical drugs and billions and billions of dollars. Before we get into the show, though, I want to thank I two new patrons this week. We have... Jennifer Augustine, thank you so much, Jennifer, and Colt Dupree. Guys, thank you. Um, Donations like this uh, help the show go and grow, and that's going to be hopefully my motto going forward. Hopefully we are uh, growers, not showers. But uh, here's the thing. You can go to patreon.com, $3.00. $5 and $8 tiers, I think. Um, guys, their contributions 
Um, anything is greatly appreciated. Um, and I will start doing some uh, monthly get togethers, whether it's an hour zoom call guys, it won't be recorded or anything where we just talk uh, amongst each other. If there's any, you know, topics you want me to take a look at, we'll take a look and see what we got there, but there's a whole bunch of possibilities for it. And we're going to keep adding on to the Patreon. Um, I'm going to add more books out there that I find this next episode after this one, guys, I'm going back to Tartaria because I found a great book from the 1600s and we're going to take a look at what they were saying about Tartaria back then. Um, And we'll see where it goes, but we're going to get back into the 1800s old world after this. I'm done with Nazis. I'm done with the third Reich for now. This will be it. So, Sit back, relax, and enjoy this, because we're going to go through, quote-unquote, shadow government in America. One of the major flaws I find in this section of the book is him basically equating the Republicans to the Nazis, straight up. Uh, No Democrats are mentioned. It's basically an attack on the Bush White House, which, hey, attack away. I will not hold any you know any good graces with that government i mean that government got us was the one of the main reasons we are where we are today uh that that bush cheney rumsfeld uh little group of rats so we'll take a look at them we'll start looking at one of the craziest things is aspartame i don't know how many of you are familiar with that but we're going to go through kind of a little history of aspartame because Guys, it's it's nasty, and they knew how nasty it was and fought to put it out there to make billions. We're going to look at the, the psychological and mind control stuff, um, blackmail, how that's used, how threats are used against anyone who goes against the narrative. Very, you know, undemocratic ideas, Things like using the TV for propaganda and brainwashing and manipulation. You have DARPA programs and HARP programs that are doing things that might not be beneficial to mankind. All the under the cloud of we're just here to help, which are the scariest words. If you ever hear them from a politician, we are here to help because they help nothing. They fuck everything up that they touch. We're going to look at propaganda, and then we're going to look at him wrap it up. So we're going to see what Mars' final conclusions on this whole thing are. And like I said, guys, I think he makes some good points. I I think overall it's a far stretch, but let's get into it. The first thing, remember how in the last episode I mentioned Colonia Dignidad, right? The the colony down in Chile run by Paul Schaefer, uh, formerly of the Nazi Luftwaffe. This is a prison where they had estimated uh, 3,000 people die and 30,000 people were tortured under uh, Pinochet, who inadvertently was heavily promoted by Henry Kissinger. But that's a different story. But the reason why I bring this up is because we mentioned it in last episode. There's a great six-part Netflix doc I found out there. Uh, that I watched last week that is really goes into detail on this. And man, it is messed up. There's pedophilia. Like I said, there's murder, there's torture. There's, it's just crazy. 
and and this, anyone that doesn't think that the Nazis didn't escape from Germany and set up shop elsewhere, this this will prove to you. This is one of the villas that they set up, and this was in Chile. This is not even Argentina, and it's it's a wild story. So go check that out on Netflix. Colonia Dignidad, it's called. So let's get into this one: rebuilding the Reich, American style. So what he says is uh, during the Johnson years, the president was surrounded by a coterie of advisors, collectively known as his wise men. Well, we always know how that works. All were members of the Council of Foreign Relations, of course. These included John J. McCloy, Avril Harriman, Dean Rusk, William Bundy, Dean Acheson, and George F. Kennan. Okay. And by the early 1960s, the CFR, Morgan, Rockefeller interests, and intelligence community were so extensively interbred as to be virtually a single entity, said Professor Dave Donald Gibson. So we're starting to see it already, guys. They're starting to interweave. Now, can you point to one person and say it's them? No. And that's the beauty of their plan. They're just meshing everything together. So all these different groups intertwine. And that's why I have a hard time feeling like this is a fourth Reich, so to speak, because it, there's just so many players. It doesn't it doesn't add up. And as we showed before, there's other pieces of it that don't match. So you think about it, and, and a war machine should be designed to actually win battles, not this one. This is designed to suck the tax dollars from the public treasury, centralize power in the government, and its corporate sponsors. Okay, and then spread the new Reich's influence across the globe, is what Mars says. William Blum, a former State Department employee turned author, said from 1945 to 2003, the United States attempted to overthrow more than 40 foreign governments and crush more than 30 populist nationalist movements fighting against intolerable, intolerable regimes. In the process, the U.S. bombed some 25 countries, caused the end of life for several, several million people, and condemned many millions more to a life of agony and despair. The result of America's empire-building national policy has been dismal at best and catastrophic at worst. And you see it right there, guys. Indiscriminately bombing countries, and you wonder why people hate Americans. It's And it's not you and I they hate. It's our government. It's our CIA. It's all these groups that inflict terror around the world. And if you don't think our government isn't one of the biggest terrorists in the world, if not the biggest, you've had the wool pulled over your eyes. Because as we've shown time and time again, this government is not about sovereignty. It's 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 about do it our way. I mean, this is... Think about this compared to, you know, the the shit they're giving Russia right now for defending its border against Ukraine. We've bombed 25 countries in the last in less than 60 years, overthrew 40 foreign governments and crushed more than 30 revolutions. Uh, okay, that's that's straight up <laughs> dictatorship style, you know? It's either you're with us or against us, like Bush said. Unbelievable. 
1971, G. Gordon Liddy, the ringleader of the break-in of the National Democratic Party headquarters, invited a number of White House officials to view Nazi propaganda films to demonstrate how a few determined men could manipulate the emotions of an entire nation by invoking a few highly visual symbols of fear. Gee, where did we see that the last couple years? During Nixon's presidency, Prescott Bush's son, George Herbert Walker, one of the last of Nixon's Republican loyalists, was named chairman of the Republican National Committee. See, guys, and this is what they do. They just move around. They don't stay in one place too long because then they'll leave real prints. In 1974, the church committee uncovered conspiracies, including assassination plots within the CIA and recriminations started following the loss of the Vietnam War. Okay. Gerald Ford, a Republican insider, had been appointed vice president with the resignation of Spiro Agnew who was under indictment for tax evasion. This is just a disaster right here in the late 70s. When Ford became president, he promptly pardoned Nixon of all crimes and at the behest of the Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld appointed George H.W. Bush head of the CIA. I mean, he was only head of the CIA for about a year. It wasn't that long, but again, he was there. So he learned the inner workings of it, set some groundwork, and then moves along. Mara says the globalists, realizing the Republican Party in the wake of Nixon's resignation was politically vulnerable, were maneuvering to place a Democrat in the White House. They created an outgrowth of the old Council of Foreign Relations called the Trilateral Commission. The Trilateral Commission was officially founded on July 1st, 1973, with David Rockefeller as the chairman. And then you have Brezhninsky was named the North American director. The North American members included Governor of Georgia, Jimmy Carter. He would go on to be president, right? While at the Brookings Institution, Brzezinski also had been researching the need for closer cooperation between the triadra nations of Europe, North America, and Asia. Brzezinski foresaw a society that, quote-unquote, shaped culturally, psychologically, socially, and economically by the impact of technology and electronics, particularly in the area of computers and communication. National sovereignty is no longer a viable concept, and he predicted movement toward a larger community by developing nations through a variety of indirect ties and already developing limitations on national sovereignty. He saw this larger community being funded by a global taxation system. And what's going on now? What do they want to do with global warming? Carbon taxes. Guys, it's, it's right here. It's a plan they've been working on for decades, similar to the one now being proposed in the UN. This is contradictory because national socialism was national. This is a global effort. And that's where I kind of see a difference, right? This isn't about national interests. And if you look at Nazi national socialism, it was about the homeland. This is, has nothing to do with borders. This is about just everything. It's, it's one world order. William Greider, writing in the Dallas Morning News, noted, but here's the unsettling thing about the Trilateral Commission. The president-elect, Jimmy Carter, is a member. So is the vice president, Walter Mondale. So we're starting to see, guys, these guys are easily manipulated by these groups. 
And it can't be proven because, oh, they were just part of the Trilateral Commission. You know, those are my friends. But these are the people who shape the policies and write many of the policies. If you think your politicians are writing them, you're, again, you're blind. Your politicians are, are at the behest of their whole stakeholders, which are the corporations. They don't care about the people for the most part because they have to raise funds for their campaign. In 1979, Carter journeyed to California, where he was to address a Hispanic crowd in the Los Angeles Civic Center Mall, celebrating Cinco de Mayo. Two suspects were arrested. They were to create a diversion with a blank pistol, and the two hitmen were to assassinate President Carter with high-powered rifles. The suspects' names? Check this out. This is wild. Raymond Lee Harvey and Osvaldo Ortiz. Guys, how, you can't make this shit up. Raymond Lee Harvey, Osvaldo Ortiz, Lee Harvey Osvo- Oswald. What? This is insanity. But this is this is how they run. This is how the CIA operates. A recent search of the federal prisoner database indicated no such persons are currently incarcerated. But apparently Carter got the message. He canceled his national TV speech and went into seclusion at Camp David and reported to have said, I have lost control of the government. There you go, guys. The shadow government that we talk about. There is there is more powerful than the president. Now let's look at Reagan, a former spokesman for General Electric stocked his administrations with current and former members of globalist groups, the very people he had criticized while campaigning. Reagan verbally attacked the 19th trilaterals in the Carter administration and vowed to investigate the group if elected. So while competing against George H.W. Bush for the nomination, Reagan lambasted uh, Bush's membership in both the trilateral and CFR and pledged not to give Bush a position in his government. Reagan announced, I have asked that I am recommending to this convention that tomorrow, when the sessions reconvenes, that George Bush be nominated for vice president. What made him turn? That's a complete 180 right there. Reagan never again uttered a word against globalist groups such as the Trilateral Commission and the CFR. Following his election, Reagan's 59-member transition team was composed of 28 CFR members, 10 from the Bilderberg Group, and at least 10 from the Trilateral Commission. He even appointed prominent CFR members to three of the nation's most sensitive offices, Secretary of State, Alexander Haig, Secretary of Defense, Caspar Weinberger, Secretary of the Treasury, Donald Reagan, and James Baker. Baker is a fourth-generation member of a family long connected to Rockefeller oil interests, according to Mars. Bush, along with the CIA director William Casey, had privately cut a deal with the Iranian leaders to hold American hostages until after the November election, thus assuring Reagan a victory. Later testimony confirming this October surprise came from several people involved who claimed to have flown Casey to a meeting with the Iranians and the Iranian foreign minister. No action was taken by the Reagan-Bush administration, thanks primarily to debunking by House Task Force led by Congressman Lee Hamilton, the same man, now get this, that George Bush would name co-chair of the 9-11 Commission in 2002. 
you see these these parasites they just keep showing up and uh, again and are there is anything ever shown against the government no because they're puppets they're pawns they're actors playing a role and once you start to realize this once you start to see that leadership politics whatever you want to call it, is like wwe you will finally begin to understand it's all fake now what they do is real and affects us severely but it's all an act it's all determined behind the scenes by blackmail by you know threats and we'll see that going forward now what happened to reagan just after he got into office in 1981 Oh, he was assassinated or attempted to be assassinated by who? John Hinckley, who was just released, by the way, which is another interesting story, who exhibited symptoms of brainwashing and whose brother had scheduled dinner with Neil Bush the very day Reagan was shot. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. For many weeks, while the Americans prayed for Reagan's recovery, George Bush ran the nation the son of Prescott Bush who had Nazi ties. And that's where Mars is taking this. And I I don't tie the Nazis to this. I tie this is, these are neocons. These are globalists. They're not nationalists. Was it sheer coincidence that Hinckley's brother had scheduled dinner with Bush's son, Neil, that very night Reagan was shot or that Hinckley's father, a Texas oil man and George HW Bush were longtime friends. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. Alexander Haig said, Gentlemen, I am in charge here until the vice president returns. That meant two things. Number one, that they were going extra constitutional, beyond the 25th Amendment, a military takeover. And number two, Haig, in his office preparedness prior uh, prior to Bush, and basically he's taking over. So this is where we start to see this uh shadow government takeover that they talk about this this almost like military industrial complex type wing so let's look at their mo their patterns are always the same you have a patsy take the blame you have a second gunman that never comes to light and you have the ascendance of power that's what i think happened after that point that reagan was basically allowed to function but bush was president That's what Mars is saying here. Throughout the 80s, the Republican Party leaders continued their policy of bringing former Nazis and Nazi-minded foreigners into the uh, party's camp. Nazi emergés brought into the USA by the CIA were placed in prominent positions within the Republican Party through ethnic outreach committees. Um, Illuminate everyone except George Bush. Bush will do anything for our cause. Uh, indeed, it was the elder Bush who fulfilled Nixon's pledge to make emergés with Nazi backgrounds a permanent part of Republican politics. It is clear that George Bush, as head of the Republican National Committee in 1972, must have known who these ethnics really were. Peter Lavenda studied the connection between old Nazis and ranking Republicans. After noting the prosecution of Prescott Bush for being a financial frontman for Hitler, remember that, right? Prescott Bush was funding Hitler even after the war began. He wrote, We cannot, of course, hold a former President Bush responsible for the sins of his father. 
nor can we hold his son responsible. Yet, we can expect a higher degree of moral responsibility in their actions as men and political leaders. Unfortunately, in the 1988 presidential campaign, George H.W. Bush was happy to accept support from a range of Nazis and Nazi sympathizers in his quest for the White House and was happy to keep them on the administration even after they had been identified as such. That's a lofty claim right there. Let's see. When Bush was in virtual command of the White House during Reagan's hospitalization and recuperation, here we go, Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld. Where did you hear them from? They would show up again in W's administration. They were conspicuously absent at least once a year. Cheney and Rumsfeld, along with several dozen federal officials and one member of the cabinet, would travel to Andrews Air Force Base, usually in the middle of the night, and from uh, where they would proceed to a remote location in the U.S. known, uh, oh, such as a decommissioned military base or an underground bunker. This is a wild, wild accusation here. Cheney and Rumsfeld were involved in one of the most highly classified programs of the Reagan administration, a program that called for setting aside the legal rules for presidential succession. This continuity of government, so to speak, was created by a secret executive order from Reagan, they say. This is what Mars says. For three decades, from the Ford administration onward, even when they were out of the executive branch of government, they were never far away. They stayed in touch with defense, military, and intelligence officials who regularly called upon them. They were, in a sense, a part of the permanent hidden national security apparatus within the U.S. And this, this is that military-industrial complex. This is what they're running. Bush gained his own time in the White House in 1988 and was limited to one term due to the controversies and conspiracies swirling about him. Not at the least was his father's pro-Nazi background and the Franklin scandal, where he was having boys brought into the White House. Go look that one up. The Franklin scandal. Yeah. Another quote-unquote conspiracy theory, right? even though it was on the front page of the Washington Post. The United States has long been governed by men connected to secret societies such as the Council of Foreign Relations and Trilateral Commission, both of which can be traced back to much earlier societies, like previously mentioned Illuminati and Freemasonry. Founded by Prince Bernard, the Bilderberg Group is composed of the most inner core elite of the Council of Foreign Relations and Trilateral Commission. So now we're starting to see there's like levels to this. And this is what people think, but, and there obviously is levels, but I think if we know the name of the group, they're high, but we're supposed to know the name of the group. There's groups that we do not know the name of, and there's a reason for that also. Bernhard was a former member of the Nazi elite guard and an employee of Germany's IG Farben in Paris and became a major shareholder and officer in the Dutch Shell Oil along with Britain's Lord Victor Rothschild. The list of American institutions that initially supported the Bilderberg Group reads like a list of pre-war financiers of Hitler. So what did they do? Instead of going there, they switch, and now we're going to finance this Bilderberg Group. First National Citibank, now Citibank, Morgan Guarantee Trust Company, Ford Motor Company, Standard Oil, and DuPont. The common denominator of these societies seems to be the acquisition of money, which translates into power. The biggest weapon in American politics is money, because you can use money to influence the people, to influence the media, 
to influence campaigns, to influence individuals, to bribe people. And we see that and we've seen that at its most in the last couple of years. It's just insane the amount of bribery that goes on. Side deals. Threats. In 1991, then Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton was honored as a Bilderberg guest. And then the next year he ran and won the presidency of the United States against George Bush. After his election, Clinton made no mention of the Bilderberg meetings. Hillary Clinton attended a meeting in 1997, becoming the first American first lady to do so. And we all know how trustworthy good old Hillary is. Nothing could go wrong where she is. So let's look at, and and this is funny because this guy is the biggest, one of the biggest scumbags, you know, in our era, he is probably the biggest scumbag as a U.S. president. And that's Woodrow Wilson. He once wrote, some of the biggest men in the United States in the field of commerce and manufacture are afraid of somebody, are afraid of something. They know that there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete so pervasive that they had better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. Let's see what Franklin Roosevelt once wrote. The real truth of the matter is, as you and I know, that a financial element in the large centers has owned the government ever since the days of Andrew Jackson. I can't argue that point. James Forrestal. These men are not incompetent or stupid. They are crafty and brilliant. Consistency has never been a mark of stupidity. If they were merely stupid, they would occasionally make a mistake in our favor. And that's a great point, too. When you look at all the stuff that goes down, why does it always benefit one side? Why do the rich always get richer? The middle class and the lower class pay the burden of it. You got to ask yourself, that's just that's either amazing luck or it's all part of the plan, folks. And once we start to see it, And once we start to push back, the game will fall apart. But it's going to take a lot of people. Since 9-11, the Bush administration has carried out an aggressive strategy to surround Russia with military bases, install missiles on its borders, topple allied regimes in Central Asia, and incite political upheaval in Moscow through U.S.-backed pro-democracy groups. 2007, Putin Reasoned remarks were little reported in, shocker, the corporate-controlled U.S. mass media. He said, for the first time in history, there are elements of the U.S. nuclear capability on the European continent. It simply changes the whole configuration of international security. Of course, we have to respond to that. The organization that has concluded that the United States is now the principal violator of human rights and freedoms worldwide. It's a heavy statement right there, a big accusation. But if you look at it, what's going on right now? Why is Russia pushing back so hard on Ukraine? Because they're like a cornered animal. They have NATO countries all along their borders, and they see what the U.S. and the manipulators are doing inside of Ukraine under the, the you know, behind the scenes. The labs that they have over there, the money laundering that they've done out of Ukraine, the shady deals, the trafficking. There's reasons why this stuff happens, and it's not 
Russia bad, Putin bad all the time. Following this tempestuous uh, Clinton administration, Republicans took power and swiftly set on the neoconservative path for the party. Neocons, right? It has been on Capitol Hill since about 1997, about three years after the GOP gained control of the House. It has been the new new to the White House since 2001, with the arrival of George Bush and Rich Dick Cheney, although its roots had emerged in the Nixon presidency and began blossoming in Reagan and Bush senior years. Although we never quite identify as the origin of the new Republican way of thinking, it is possible that it stemmed from the National Socialist philosophy brought into this country after World War II, Mars says. Yeah, he's, and, and that's why I feel it's a stretch. He says it's possible, right? We got to have facts here if we're going to make accusations like this. It just, it's a stretch. So now we're going to move over to guns, drugs, and eugenics. And since 1940, America's scientists have become faceless members of teams working under auspices of the military industrial complex or the corporate world. The most dramatic alteration was in the West. The Office of Scientific Research and Development under the government since Chief uh, Vannevar Bush was commissioned more than 2,000 research programs in the course of World War II. The projects involved industrial research and development units employing tens of thousands of scientists and technicians in companies such as DuPont and GE, as well as major university labs like MIT and Caltech. Right? These are all the same places where Silicon Valley comes out of. So we're all these great things. It's all these few companies, guys, that have all this power and all this ability to do all this stuff. Mars claims such tight inner control over scientific advances was reminiscent of late World War Nazi SS control over technology in the Third Reich. And that could be comparable. Anti-gun control advocates have long pointed out it was an unarmed population that allowed the Nazis to both gain and maintain power. Ironically, the Nazis used the Weimar Republic's gun control laws intended to restrict private armies such as Hitler's SA to keep the population disarmed. In 1938, they strengthened these laws by asserting that only loyal Nazis could own weapons. And this was codified in the Nazi weapons uh, law of March 18, 1938. All firearm owners and their firearms had to be registered. Gun control did not save democracy in Germany. It helped make sure the toughest criminals, the Nazis, prevailed. And think about it here. They take the guns away. Who's going to prevail? The government. The guys with the guns. The assassination of JFK precipitated a cry for gun control in the U.S. And the corporate media went into high gear promoting this agenda. Right? They never failed to miss a crisis. And... It's amazing how when they're pushing something, all of a sudden now it shows up more in the news, right? So resistance was strong and the idea was languished until you had the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968 and then Robert Kennedy just two months later. RFK was blown away. Following these two shocking deaths, the Gun Control Act of 1968 was passed in October of that year. Just four months after Kennedy was killed. Given the parallels they, uh, between 
Nazi weapons law and the GCA of 1968, we have concluded that the framers of the GCA of 68, lacking any basis in American law to sharply cut back the civil rights of law-abiding Americans, drew on the Nazi weapons law of 1938. And this is according to the Jews for the preservation of firearm ownership. I mean, they got a group for everything, huh? That's great. The Jews for preservation of firearm ownership. Interesting. I think that's, you know, obviously any, any time you see guns taken away, there is a purpose behind it and it's not for the good of the people. So people, you have to fight for your ability to own a firearm and not let them keep hammering away at that right. If you want the country, I mean, it's not going to save the country, but it's one of the things that's barely holding it together these days. If it is even together, I don't even, I can't even say that it is together because this, we're in a mess right now. Eustace Mullen reported that IG Farben and drug companies controlled in the United States through Rockefeller interests were responsible for the suppression of effective drugs until a monopoly could be established. Gee, where have we heard that? They don't let you use effective drugs because they want to use the ones that they can make billions off. Sound familiar? Even though they're experimental and may have deadly side effects. Yet, treatments that have been used for decades and decades were shunned, were hidden, were prevented from being attained. Think about that. And that tells you how much they care about you. Let's go. Look at one of the many controversial drugs. Here we go. Drugs now being used by millions of Americans. Aspartame. Okay, what is aspartame? It's an additive sugar substitute found in most diet soft drinks and more than 5,000 foods, drugs, and medicines. So why is aspartame bad? Well, when it's heated to more than 86 degrees Fahrenheit, and remember, what's your internal body temperature? Hmm, 98.6. Aspartame releases free methanol that breaks down into formic acid and formaldehyde in the body. Formaldehyde is a deadly neurotoxin. Remember the shit you used to, uh, they used to keep frogs and pigs and science class in that jar in? Yeah, that's formaldehyde. Before 1980, the Federal Drug Administration had refused to approve the use of aspartame. FDA toxicologist Dr. Adrian Gross testified to Congress that aspartame caused tumors and brain cancers in lab animals. Same results that we were told about experimental jabs. And he said, therefore violated the Delaney Amendment that forbids putting anything in food that is known to cause cancer. Aspartame is also blamed for an increase in diabetes. Now, here's where, of course, there's always somebody behind it to keep pushing it and somebody with power. Donald Rumsfeld was the CEO of Surly, the conglomerate that manufactured aspartame. For 16 years, the FDA refused to approve it, not only because it's not safe, but because they wanted the company indicted for fraud. Gee, Rumsfeld fraud? No, never. Even Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is a former Monsanto attorney. Guys, they're all connected. They're all puppets, actors playing roles. However, the FDA still refused to allow NutraSweet on the market. It is a deadly neurotoxic drug masquerading as an additive. 
other unsafe sweeteners like Splenda that has a chlorinated base like DDT and can cause autoimmune disease. The FDA has known this for a quarter of a century and done nothing, even though it's against the law. Surly went on to build NutraSweet Factory and had $9 million worth of inventory. Donald Rumsfeld was on President Reagan's transition team the day after Reagan took office. He appointed an FDA commissioner who would approve aspartame. In 1981, Rumsfeld told the company employees he would call in all his markers and that no matter what, he would see to it aspartame would be approved this year. So if he knows this, now this gets into the whole way uh, our our politicians operate too. What are they going to do? Oh, they can go. They know it's going to be approved. So let's go invest in aspartame. And then all of a sudden the stock price shoots up and these people make millions of dollars at our expense by putting shit in our food that gives us cancer. There were three congressional hearings because of the outcry of the people being poisoned. Senator Orrin Hatch refused to allow the hearings for a long time. The first hearing was in 1985. Senator Hatch and others were paid by Monsanto. So the bill never got out of committee. This bill would have put a moratorium on aspartame and had the NIH uh, do independent studies on the problems being seen in the population, interaction with drugs, seizures, and what it does to the fetus and even behavioral problems in children. This is due to the depletion of serotonin caused by uh, phenylalanine in aspartame. I don't know. Reagan's FDA commissioner, Hayes, initially approved aspartame only as a powdered additive. But in 1983, just before he left his position, he approved the additive for all carbonated beverages. And guys, this is when all these restaurants start taking fast food restaurants, take off with carbonated beverages. This is when gas stations start having them everywhere. And all it is is poison. With fancy marketing campaigns. Dr. Uh, Morando Sofridi conducted a three year study on 1,800 rats and concluded that aspartame is a multipotential carcinogen. Beautiful. 2007 study that confirmed the cancer causing potential of aspartame at even small doses. He noted that a small amount of aspartame can trigger cancer. And babies of mothers who ingested aspartame could grow up to contract cancer. That's some scary shit right there, guys. Just a small amount, he's saying. And think about how much they put in our drinks. So let's look at that. The Center of Public Integrity. Okay, how are these people getting this stuff done? Well, here's how we go. The Center for Public Integrity in the past seven years, the pharmacy, not now, seven years. This is uh, as of... 2006, seven time frame when he wrote this. In the past seven years, the pharmaceutical and health products industry has spent in excess of $800 million to lobby legislators and government officials at both the federal and state levels. Manufacturers of pharmaceuticals, medical devices, and other health products spent nearly $182 million on federal lo- lobbying in from January of 80, uh, 2005 to June 2006. No other industry has spent more money to sway public policy. It should also be noted that the large pharmaceutical corporations annually spend nearly twice as much money on marketing as they do on research and development. Let me let me go back to that. Large pharmaceutical corporations spent more 
annually spend nearly twice as much money on marketing as they do on research and development on their product. They spend twice as much pushing their product as they do in developing a better and safer and more effective product. Think about that. Madness. That's insanity. In 2004, the CPI reported that pharmaceutical direct-to-customer advertising had grown from $791 million in 1996 to more than $3.8 billion in 2004. So in eight years, it went up $3 billion. Almost 500 times, guys. 400 times it went increased. And guess what it is now? Since about 2015, it's been on average $6 billion. Now it's about the last couple of years has been about $6.5 billion they spend into direct cost, direct to consumer advertising. $6.5 billion. I mean, think about it. You can't watch TV without a drug ad now coming up. And 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 that's thanks to 19 Bill Clinton, because in 1997, the FDA uh, allowed the drug industry to directly advertise to the people. Now, why do drug companies need to advertise to people? That doesn't make any sense. If our doctors and if science is so trusted, why would we not go to our doctors and they would recommend what is best for us? But the problem herein lies that what else did they do? They go to the doctors and they incentivize them to push certain drugs. Therein, you go into these places and the doctor sees, okay, you have certain, you have uh, illness A, which equates to medicine D. There you go. Here's your medicine. Go try. We'll go by the directions. If it works, great. If not, we'll try medicine E and F and G. And they never look at the root of the problem. They just keep prescribing drugs and keeping you in that system. And that's how this works. One of the greatest scams ever known to man. The cross-corporate ownership of both pharmaceutical houses, medical institutions, and the mass media combined with the extraordinary amount of pharmaceutical advertising might explain the media's hesitation in reporting the, um, the nasty effects of these drugs and potentially deadly effects of these drugs. In 2002, the combined profits for the 10 drug companies in the Fortune 500 was almost $36 billion. It was more than the profits of all other 490 businesses put together. It's insane. These drug companies just have a monopoly. And they have an ability to pay the media, to pay the politicians, to pay the doctors. And that's where we come up with safe and effective. When we all know, not we all, but those of us from the beginning knew it wasn't safe and effective. We heard about the trials. We saw how fast this was rushed out. There were no clinical trials. We were the guinea pigs, or you were. I wasn't. The election of Ronald Reagan in 1980 was perhaps a fundamental element in the rapid rise of big pharma. The gap between the rich and the poor, which had been narrowing since World War II, suddenly began to widen again. And so today is at a chasm, according to Dr. Angle. I would agree. I mean, we're getting at the furthest point. And you saw it during the... uh, you know, the pandemic was the greatest transfer of wealth in history. You saw about $3.7 billion gained by the wealthy, $3.8 billion lost by the middle 
and lower classes. The success of Big Pharma has more to do with marketing than with efficiency of its drugs. Exactly. Dr. Michael Wilps described a recent process called disease mongering. This term applied to large drug corporations attempting to convince healthy people that they are sick and need drugs. That's it. This is all an attempt to sell treatment, Dr. Wilkes explained. When their profits don't match corporate expectations, they invent new diseases to be cured with existing drugs. Gee, where did we see that? Under this system, research paid for by public money becomes a commodity to be sold for profit by private concerns. And this is where it's insane. Okay, excessive salaries of pharmaceutical executives, such as Charles Heimbold Jr., former chairman and CEO of Bristol Myers Squid, he made set almost seventy-five million in two thousand one. Now that doesn't include the seventy-six million of unexercised stock options he received. One hundred fifty million to run that company. Really? Come on. During this same time, John R. Stafford, chairman of Wyeth, made $40.5 million, not counting his 40 and a half in stock options. And I know this firsthand is bullshit because I worked for IBM for almost 20 years. And you see these executives getting their big bonuses, yet the marcher ants, the worker bees, the normal everyday people that could use a small raise that would really help their life get nothing. They don't even match your cost of living increase. But yet the execs are getting millions and millions of dollars. It's just, it's so disgusting the way this country has turned out and the way these corporations have ruined just about everything. So 2007 report on sodium benzoate, a mold prevention substance used routinely by the $160 billion soft drink industry, creates a a carcinogen benzene. When mixed with vitamin C in drinks, worse yet, according to Piper, these chemicals have the ability to cause severe damage to DNA in the mitochondria to the point that a total they totally inactivate it. They knock it out altogether. There's in a whole array of diseases that are now being tied to this damage of DNA, Parkinson's, and quite a lot of other neurodegenerative diseases. But above all, the whole process of aging. We don't know the long-term effects of this stuff because it hasn't been tested and we're finding out the hard way by being guinea pigs. And that's why I regret a lot of my 20s and 30s where I was just crushing soda and energy drinks and all these just shit food, fast food life on the road, life out of hotels, you know, all that stuff. It's just like, man, it takes a toll on you. And it's probably one of the reasons why I ended up with a uh, autoimmune issue because of the healthy, poor diet over the years and eating all this crap. So let's go back to this. What did we say before? Democratic presidential hopefuls in 2008, New York Senator Hillary Clinton, here she is again, and Illinois Senator Barack Obama. They both pledged to fight huge pharmaceutical and insurance industries, yet their campaign contributions data released in April of 2007 showed that both Clinton and Obama were the largest recipients of big pharma campaign funding. Do you see it, guys? There's the WWE example right there. 
they go up to the podium and they talk tough on how they're going to do this and that and that. And then you, they go behind the scene and they're shaking hands with the big pharma guy and saying, we got you. We'll take care of you. Just get us into office. That's how this works. Right here, another example, <laughs> Fourth Reich not in America. National Socialist's predilection for health, foods, and preventive medicine may have been yet another reason the globalists turned against Hitler and his regime. After all, most food additives, colorings, and preservatives are petrochemicals, and any decrease in human consumption would spell loss of profit to the globalist corporations. By the late 1930s, Nazi Germany had firmly documented the link between asbestos and lung cancer. This connection was uh, flatly stated in a 1939 textbook, and by 1943, the Nazi government had recognized asbestos-induced cancer as a uh, compensable occupational disease, right? You could be compensated for it. This Nazi research would be used in later years to counter asbestos producers' claims that they were unaware of the danger of asbestos until modern studies. And and you see asbestos lawsuits still today. Okay, it was in Germany in the late 30s that we first had broad medical recognition of both the addictive nature of tobacco and lung cancer hazard of smoking. The Nazis were among the first to ban smoking in public places such as Nazi party offices, post offices, hospitals, rest homes, and waiting rooms. Mars compares America today and uses this as an argument. I mean, that's not just because we ban smoking in public places. And it's just, it's not until recently that that's been happening. Nazis' concern over rising cancer rates also resulted in a bizarre confrontation over the use of x-rays. Dr. Warburg gave a lecture describing both the cause and cure for cancer. While most living cells require oxygen to live, cancer cells do well without oxygen, instead of drawing energy from the fermentation of sugars. To maintain normal health, humans require a minimum of 22% oxygen in the air they breathe. Most American cities are around 18%. There you go. You you think cities are healthy for you? There's nothing in our DNA that would want us to live in a city. Nothing. Nothing natural about that. The Nazis outlawed alcohol advertising aimed at youth, as well as uh, any that suggested alcohol was healthful. In 1936, a certification system was instituted designed to protect children from unsuitable drinks. Coca-Cola was declared one such beverage due to its sugar and additives. So you're seeing right here that they were all about healthy, healthy lives, raising healthy people. So they didn't have the burden, the medical costs, the dead weight of medical issues. If you can prevent it, why not? In addition, high-ranking Nazis' fascination with the occult, organic foods, herbs, and healing plants were all encouraged in Nazi Germany, along with a back-to-nature idealism and respect for the rural life. In America, Rockefeller executive Frank Howard, after convincing Alfred Sloan, oh no, this they created the Sloan Kettering Institute, a cancer institute, and they are probably the biggest creators of cancer. The irony is unbelievable. They're going to create products that give you cancer, and then they're going to create hospitals where they can get money from you to treat the cancer that they gave you. Do you see the scam? This is the whole pharmaceutical industry. We lived 
in a homeopathic society prior to the Rockefellers. Rockefeller switched it to allopathy, allopathy, where you rely on pharmaceuticals. You get away from the natural. Now, don't get me wrong. Are all pharmaceuticals bad? No. There are some that that save many people's lives, but there are many that are poison to the body and many where there is a natural, there's a natural cure for everything. God has put a cure for everything on this planet. And a lot of it's due to the cause. What's the cause of cancer? We saw it right there, the fermentation of sugars. We need fresh air. We need certain things. In 1981, General Maxwell Taylor, a former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and U.S. Ambassador to South Vietnam, said, I have already written off more than a billion people. These people are in places in Africa, Asia, Latin America. We can't save them. The population crisis and food supply question dictate that we should not even try. It's a waste of time. Guys, this is fucking disgusting. But this is how they saw it. This was their plan to starve out a billion people in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And what did we see throughout the 80s and 90s? All these hungry children. Guys, there's plenty of food on this planet to feed everyone. Plenty of land to grow enough food to feed everyone. But no, these parasites have plans to exterminate. And they do it under guises like this. Oh, food shortage, water shortage. And meanwhile, they're creating the shortage. Hunger could be solved immediately by one man, Elon Musk, with the money that he has. Jeff Bezos. These people could could cure, solve the hunger problems, but they don't. And what do they do? They ask us for our money, our dollars that we would use to, to make our lives better. Maybe enjoy a dinner with our family because we don't have unlimited funds like they do. But yet they're going to ask us to donate. Come on. I have no problem doing my part, but it's just charity in that sense. And these, these foundations that these warlords set up, they're just disgusting. They're money funneling organizations. So now let's look at religion. And this is one where I think, you know, and it's obvious religion has been under attack in this nation for a long time. And recently it's really ramped up and you saw it during the lockdowns. They have these 501c3 churches by the balls and they are government puppets now. That's why organized religion is a sham these days. National socialism was a religion. The Nazi future would have lain with the evangelical Christians had the war been won. The greatness of Christianity was not rooted in attempted negotiations of compromise with perhaps similarly constructed philosophical opinions of the old world, but in the inner inexorably uh, fanatical preaching and representation of its own doctrine. Hitler quickly took steps to subdue the church. We will discover that the Nazi era shouts its lessons to the church of America, concluded Reverend Erwin W. Lutzer. He is a senior pastor at Moody Church in Chicago. It warns us, challenges us, and forecasts what might be happening in the days ahead. Whether we heed its warnings, accept its challenges, and recognize its subtle deceptions is up to us. Catholics and Lutherans, the fascist global leaders, realized that a multi-sectarian United States could not be brought under one religious uh, control system. Through their corporate control over large media outlets, 
These would-be global rulers have instituted a decades-long campaign to undermine and discredit organized religion, regardless of denomination. Okay, The Family. Now, this is another one. You can go, there's another Netflix documentary on The Family. Go check that out. That's a wild one. These guys have a house in D.C., and it's real creepy boy love shit. Sounds like goes on here. It's called The Family or The Fellowship. According to an article by uh, Barbara Ehrenreich posted on the Nation website, a former member of the family, Jeff Charlotte, described the group's real work as a knitting together international networks of right-wing leaders, most of them ostensibly Christian. Quoting Charlotte, uh, reporter Ehrenreich uh, wrote that in the 1940s, the family reached out to former and not-so-former Nazis, and its fascination with the exemplary reader, uh, leader Adolf Hitler had continued along with its ties to a whole bestiary of murderous thugs. Now, what's interesting about this, this is the 1940s. Yeah, of, of course in the 40s. I mean, there were a lot of Americans. Ford was working with the Nazis. Rockefeller, Morgans, they were all working with the Nazis in the 40s. So what's the difference? Considering, and, and this is another stretch, okay? Considering Hillary's ties to secretive Bilderbergs, Mars says, her husband's membership on the CFR and Trilateral Commission, as well as her work with the Nazi-connected group called The Family, it could be said that she provides a connective tissue between the globalists and their new Fourth Reich. Well, Hillary has been irrelevant politically for almost a decade now. And is so out of touch that, yeah, I don't think she brought in connected the Nazis. And it's also the family. I, I mean, the family in, in documentary is a lot of right wing. Hillary wasn't so much right wing that I remember. But hey, However, here in America, the phrase separation of church and state is a given a sinister twist by civil libertarians. To them, it means that religious people should not be allowed to practice a religion in the realm that belongs to the state. Religion, we are told, should be practiced privately. The state must be cleansed from every vestige of religious influence. By insisting that the state be free of all religions, organization, uh, uh, yeah, organizations such as the ACLU, in effect, makes it free for none. And that's the problem with this shit, guys. It always gets twisted around and the Americans United for Separation of Church and State claiming this liberal group would try and silence churches and ministries by asking the IRS to investigate them for allegedly violating their 501c3 status. Of course, this is designated to intimidate people into silence, even though in 76 previous attempts, uh, they have yet to be successful in getting anyone's tax-exempt status pulled. But, the threat of that with a lot of these people would make them crumble. I see that as a major problem. I have been telling conservative uh, Christians that who should be howling at the top of their lungs is not the liberal left. It is the far Christian conservatives for they are being lied to seduced and misled even more than the liberal left. They are being seduced into fascism and that is not Christianity wrote Christian Republican Carl B. Schwartz. Schwartz went on to say, in fact, if you look real close at the Bush-Cheney and understand the fundamental dynamics of what 
brought Hitler to power, how he controlled the masses and how he sold the great lie. It is very easy to see that Bush and Cheney, uh, their compassionate conservatism and fascism are one in the same. Many hear the term neocon and do not recognize that its current operative sense in meaning uh, in the term meaning new world order fascist. He points out that most people appear not to have noticed the parallels between fascism of Nazi Germany and the conservative Christian movement of the America today, both with deep roots in conservative faction of the population. Uses of people like Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, and Eric Prince of Black- Blackwater, who Mars even compared um, Prince's, you know, Blackwater pri- private army, so to speak, to Hitler's brown shirt stormtroopers. I-, I think that's a stretch too. I mean, yeah, they're they're part of the military industrial complex. Yeah, they they are parasites too. They're part of that shadow government, like so many. Modern America, most Germans in the 1930s offered no resistance to ever encroaching fascism and national socialism. Many welcomed the abolition of individual responsibility for one's action. For some, it's easier to obey than to accept the dangers of freedom. Now, that that's where we are running into the problem here in America, is that many don't want the responsibility to have to take care of themselves and and be responsible for their actions. They just think it's easier to obey and and whatever, whatever the the black mirror tells me to do, I'm going to do that. So, I mean, you get into this push pull between Liberty and security and it, it creates a tension. The globalists have found that such ongoing controversies coming from many different directions is an effective mechanism to keep Americans arguing with each other off balance and ineffective in uniting to learn the truth behind their new world order agenda. Now think about this. This is written in prior to 2010, but that right there is exactly what happened with Trump. You had division there, COVID you had division there. The injection, you had division there. Recently, you've had abortion, massive division there. Uh, Gun control, massive division there. And that's what they keep doing. They just keep bombarding us with divisive news. Things that will just further split and divide people. Truth must be gleaned through study and contemplation. No one, no matter how smart, can make correct decisions without truthful knowledge and understanding, the very cornerstones of wisdom. And knowledge begins with education. And it doesn't have to be formal education. I know a lot of smart people that dropped out of school. Education now, education today, is indoctrination. Okay, let's go into this. Education is crucial for an ideology that can be institutionalized through education establishment It has won a major battle. The Nazis realize this all too well. American establishment has been created and guided for many years by the progenitors of the globalists who created both communism and national socialism. The oil magnate John D. Rockefeller created the General Education Board in 1903 to dispense Rockefeller donations to education. Sure, just donations. He didn't want to have any say on anything, right? 
By 1960, it had ceased operating as a separate entity, and its programs were rolled into the Rockefeller Foundation. Gee, like we mentioned before, foundation. The Lincoln School. From this school descended a national network of progressive educators, social scientists, whose influence closely paralleled the goals of the Communist Party, another favorite recipient of the Rockefeller Millions. Now, I find it interesting here because the Rockefellers have a lot of references to Lincoln. And I don't know what the tie is, and I want to look into it more, but, and New York City does too. You have the Lincoln School, the Lincoln Tunnel, you know, there's Lincoln all over the place there. And Lincoln's a Midwest president. There's so many other things in New York that that there's just always seemed weird to me that Rockefeller tie with Lincoln. And this Lincoln School is one of those breeding grounds, right? They go to the Lincoln School, then they'll probably go to Harvard or Yale maybe get into skull and bones or one of the fraternities there. And then they'll get a position in either government or corporate world, wherever they need them, wherever they need to be placed between 1890 and 1914 Rockefeller through the society handed out close to a million dollars to many different schools. Think about that guys. It's less than 25 years back in the turn of the century, a million dollars to different schools. Why? But the linchpin of his attempt to guide American education was the formation of the National Education Board and continuing Rockefeller support to the University of Chicago. Closely connected to Rockefeller's University of Chicago is the English world's most accepted authority on everything, the Encyclopedia Britannica, which owns Merriam-Webster Incorporation, one of the world's leading publishers of dictionaries and thesaurus. What could possibly go wrong? with one group owning both the Encyclopedia Britannica and all the dictionaries that have the definitions of all the words. That's a massive problem, as we've seen lately. They are changing the definitions of words. It's straight out of 1984. We've seen it with recession. It's not a recession. It's a transition, according to this government. Right. I mean, we've seen that they've changed the definition of vaccine. They changed the definition of virus, herd immunity, all this stuff. They keep changing words and their meanings. It's insanity. The agenda behind Rockefeller's creation of the General Education Board may have been revealed in the correspondence from Frederick T. Gates, Rockefeller's choice to the head of the board. Gates wrote, In our dreams, we have limitless resources and people to yield themselves with perfect docility to our molding hands. The present education conventions fade from their minds, and unhampered by tradition, we work our own goodwill upon a grateful and responsive rural folk. We shall not try to make these people or any of their children into philosophers or men of learning or men of science. We have not to raise... Uh, up from among them authors, editors, poets, or men of letters. We shall not search for embryo great artists, painters, musicians, nor lawyers, doctors, preachers, politicians, statesmen, of whom we have ample supply. The task we set before ourselves is very simple, as well as very beautiful one, to train the people as we find them perfectly ideal life just where they are. So we will organize our children and teach them to do in a perfect way the things their fathers and mothers are doing in an imperfect way, in the homes, in the shops, and on the farm. 
Guys, this isn't education. This is pure indoctrination right there. We will not make them thinkers. We will not make them doctors because we already have an ample supply. What an arrogant prick. Paolo Leone wrote, it would be false to say that John Rockefeller was the mastermind of international intrigue and deception, but it wouldn't be false to say that Rockefeller money has been used in various ways to forward social and global control through economics, foundations, the United Nations, universities, banking, industry, medicine, and of course, education, psychology, and psychiatry. One could say that a major segment of today's modern institutions exists not because of honest study and concern for the truth in the respective fields, but because Rockefeller's money was available at their inception to fund incredible PR campaigns, establish professional publications and societies, steamroll over any competition, regardless of its legitimacy or value and to continue selling the ideas until accepted and institutionalized within the basic fabric of society. That's brainwashing, guys. They just beat you down and get rid of the competition. Congressional investigation found that the Guggenheim, Ford, and Rockefeller Foundations and the Carnegie Endowment were working in harmony to control education in the United States. The CIA has become a growing force on campus. And according to an article in the Wall Street Journal, the agency finds its need experts from academia and colleges pressed for cash like the revenue. The National Teachers Association was founded in 1850. By 1964, Rockefeller's General Education Board had spent more than $3.2 million in gifts to support black education, criticized some as merely a means to instill white values and worldviews in black students. John D. Rockefeller Sr. was more concerned with shaping a new industrial social order than providing useful education. The Rockefeller Group demonstrated how gift-giving could shape the education and public policy. So, Mars goes on to say, education today is mixing drugs with student control. At first, psychiatrists called hyperactivity uh, brain disease. With no brain disease to be found, they changed it to a minimal brain disease, an MBD. When no minimal brain disease could be found, the professional transformed the concept into minimal brain dysfunction. When no minimal brain dysfunction could be demonstrated, the label became attention deficit disorder. Now it's just assumed to be a real disease, regardless of its failure to prove it so. There's, it's, it's not a... And that's what they kept doing. But why? Because they have these drugs like Ritalin that they can push and get these kids on. Today, the child is sent to the school nurse who often tells the parents that the student has attention uh, deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, and recommends the administration of Prozac, which is 94% sodium fluoride or Ritalin, psychotropic drugs that have been shown to produce psychosis in lab rats. 30 years ago, the World Health Organization concluded that Ritalin was pharmacologically similar to cocaine in the pattern of abuse it fostered and cited it as a Schedule II drug, the most addictive in medical use. Around 105 adverse reactions to Ritalin have been identified, including suicidal tendencies. Americans wonder why there have been a rash of school shootings and teen suicides in recent years, yet virtually all of these killings have involved a student on mood-altering drugs or coming off them. It's, it's unbelievable. 
So you have a 1999 article by Dr. Julian Whitaker, who stated virtually all of the gun-related massacres that have made headlines over the past decade have one thing in common. They were perpetrated by people taking Prozac, Zoloft, Luvox, Paxil, and related antidepressant drugs. I mean, that's insanity. So then Bush comes up with the No Child Left Behind Act, which is a crock of shit in 2001. It's to ensure that all children have a fair, equal, and significant opportunity to obtain high quality. And every time you hear education here, just insert the word indoctrination and reach at a minimum proficiency on challenging state academic achievements standards and stake academic assessments so basically what they did is they forced teachers to teach this curricula and if they didn't there was a monetary punishment for the school district okay and and that was that's where i mean school districts rely on that money so the no child left behind act narrowly focuses on two main skills math and reading As a result, there are claims that other areas of school have been neglected, especially PE, physical education. Kids between the ages of 6 and 19, some 9 million suffer from obesity. With the obesity rates going up and it's in our face, why are we cutting PE time? I don't get it. The focus right now is on testing, right? And if they really cared about your health, that would be a main focus of schooling, of education. But it's not education. It's indoctrination. In March 2004, Joe Biden was telling a story about the president, okay, about President Bush. I was in the Oval Office a few months after we swept into Baghdad, and I was telling the president of my many concerns. Bush, Biden recalled, just looked at him, unflappably sure that the United States was on the right course and that all was well. Mr. President, how can you be sure when you know You don't know the facts, Biden said. Bush stood up. And so Biden said Bush stood up and put his hands on Biden's shoulder. My instincts, he said, my instincts. I mean, if our country was relying on George W. Bush's instincts, we're fucked. Any politician's instincts. So what were his instincts? To go bomb Iraq, go bomb Afghanistan and get us into war for 20 years. So one major difference between the Third Reich and the Fourth is the lack of emphasis on flag ceremonies and repetitious pledges. The patriotic allegiance to one's nation is not conductive to the globalist agenda of borderless countries under control of multinational corporations. Nationalistic ideals have been replaced by ubiquitous corporate logos and slogans. Remember idiocracy, right? Everything's replaced by corporations, and that's where we're going. So you look, the dictatorship, the whole process of coming into being was all, above all, diverting. Each step was so small, so inconsequential, so well explained, or on occasion regretted that unless one were detached from the whole process from the beginning, unless one understood what the whole thing was in principle, what all of these little measures were, you could resent someday that one more saw it. Uh, developing from day to day than a farmer in his fields sees the corn growing one day it is over his head okay that's an interesting way to go about that comparison 
So now, in Nazi Germany, people who questioned the motives behind the government policies were deemed alarmists. Today, they're called conspiracy theorists. I found that hilarious. And that's in Mars's book. And that was 10 years ago. It's still the same way today. If you go against the government policies, you are a conspiracy theorist. And who has been proven to be the biggest liar and spreader of misinformation throughout this? The United States government. They're all liars. So in between come all hundreds of little steps, some of them unperceptible. Each of them preparing you not to be shocked by the next. He said that the person who is aware suddenly sees the world in a new way. The world you live in, your nation, your people, is not the world you were born in at all. The forms are all there, all untouched, all reassuring. The houses, the shops, the jobs, the mealtimes, the visits, the concerts, the cinema, the holidays. But the spirit, which you never noticed because you made the lifelong mistakes of identifying with it in forms, has changed. Now you live in a world full of hate and fear. And the people who hate and fear do not even know it themselves. When everyone is transformed, no one is transformed. Suddenly it all comes down all at once. You see what you are, what you have done, and most accurately, what you haven't done. And for that was all that was required of most of us, that we do nothing, right? And if we do nothing, they're good. In America today, the world's most foremost empire, a Reich, falls under fascist domination. Where can Americans look for deliverance? It's an interesting question by Mars. So now we're going to start looking at the psychological control over a lot of this stuff. Okay, so we're going to look at the globalists have learned from the Nazis how to employ these methods and ensure obedience and intimidation of the public. Okay, so let's let's look at a little David Rockefeller. He's been basically like one of the spokesmen for the New World Order, and he's been concerned with delivering working instructions to the communist bloc, either directly in New York or by traveling to the area, according to Eustace Mullins. And there was also knowledge that he... Um, that Nazi Germany would disappear into the offices of the Gestapo, likely never to be seen again. Anyone that spoke out disappears. And that's what we're looking at now. So, you, you, you know, and, and he, Mars brings up beginning with JFK, RFK, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, all of these people. You know, and he says on through the, the 2002 fatal plane crash of Democratic Minnesota Democratic Senator Paul Wellstone, 11 days before his election, whose seat was taken by a Republican, which created a Republican majority in the Senate. He says the trail of dead dissidents, witnesses and accusers and whistleblowers has grown longer with each passing year. Just as in the days of the Reich, if any individual threatens to become too popular or brings too much attention to the fascist activities, they seem to disappear from the scene quickly. Or they're made an example of. Right? Look at Julian Assange. Edward Snowden. These guys are just reporting on illegal government activities. But then on the other side, you look at how many people have been silenced, gotten rid of, 
And here's an interesting one that I didn't know about. 1992 presidential candidate Ross Perot, who publicly stated his reason for dropping out of the race was concerned for his safety and family. <laughs> I would be scared too. He was going, he was running against George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. Woo, talk about murderer's row. That is not a sandwich I want to be in the middle of. Thanks to the modern surveillance state, many members of Congress find themselves susceptible to blackmail by damaging information from any number of government and corporate databases. It is reminiscent of many allegations that former FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover blackmailed government employees in Congress into supporting his agendas. That's a guarantee. The United States Patriot Act, which authorized $150 million in tax money for the expansion of the regional information sharing system to facilitate federal, state, local law enforcement response related to terrorist acts. Yeah, okay. In October 2002, the Applied Digital Solutions uh, Incorporation developed a high... uh, announced they were launching a national promotion for its new subdermal personal verification microchip to go under your skin, guys. Just a chip. The Get Chipped promotion, now this was 2002, was describing a device that can be implanted under a person's skin to transmit data to various locations. The VeraChip, according to the company literature, is an implantable 12 millimeter by 2.1 millimeter radio frequency device about the size of the point of a typical ballpoint pen. Series of veterinary and toxicology studies conducted in the mid-90s found that the chip implants induced malignant tumors in some lab rats and mice. According to the uh, AP, the Associated Press, uh, in September 2007, Keith Johnson, who had a study in 1996 at Dow Chemical Company, said the transponders were the cause of the tumors. So guys, if you think chipping yourself is a good idea, here you go. All right. In 2002, they're already showing that these things cause tumors. U.S. federal government utilizes electronic uh, eavesdropping satellite and computer systems called Echelon. And this is old. They're on. They're way beyond these now. Today, beamed electromagnetic frequencies can alter perceptions, instill emotions, and even cloud normal reasoning. Scientists today have succeeded in isolating many of the healing frequency codes of the human body and importantly are adding to a growing body of remarkably practical medical advancement toward the diagnosis and treatment of numerous diseases, states, and conditions using frequency. There's healing frequencies out there that can be used, but there's also frequencies that can be used negatively. Okay, there's this gentleman called Dr. Raymond Reif in the 1930s who found Reif frequencies and that electrical frequencies disrupt viral and bacterial cells. Reif frequencies were reversing many ailments, including cancer. In 1934, Reif, along with doctors Milbank Johnson and Alvin G. Ford, succeeded in using his frequencies to cure 16 cancer patients diagnosed as terminal by conventional medicine. What do you think they did to him? overworked and underfunded, Rife and his associates were easy targets for an attack. False claims were made against him, test procedures were altered, causing his demonstrations to fail, and impossible and diverting demands were made on Rife's research. 
Rife was curing cancer while the International Cancer Research Foundation broke their agreements, insisted on procedures with inexperienced people, which were doomed from the onset, and ignored a larger goal which Rife was achieving, the cure of cancer in human beings. So you're starting to see this, and they're finding ways to use frequencies to affect human behavior. So they're talking about psychotronic generators are being developed, which can create infrasonic oscillation in the 10 to 20 hertz range. It is destructive to living organisms, can cause behavior modification by transmitting frequencies through normal telephone, TV, and radio networks, and can produce frequencies to paralyze the central nervous system. This is all stuff they're working on. Where are they working on it? DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency has pursued research into uh, brain decoding and the development of electronic micro and nano circuits that will directly interact with the brain. This is all that Neuralink ship that Elon's talking about straight from DARPA. Okay. And all these people that think he's, he's some savior. He's just another player in the game, a character in the show. So what's another one? Harp high frequency, active oral, research program a vast array of powerful transmitting dishes located near gakona alaska officially harp is designed to study the uppermost portion of the earth's atmosphere the ionosphere dr begich and other scientists claim that this powerful array can be used as a weapon to deliver energy blasts equal to that of an atomic bomb destroy communications across the planet and even influence human behavior Harp has the capability of stimulating the ionosphere to return a pulsed electromagnetic single, which at proper frequency can override normal brain function. So Putin even said that Harp was influencing near earth atmosphere with high frequency radio waves. The significance of this qualitative leap in science could be compared to the transition from cold steel to firearms or from conventional weapons to nuclear weapons. This type of weapon differs from previous types in that near-Earth medium becomes at once an object of direct influence. Mind control research not only runs the risk of creating an Orwellian thought-controlled society, but would prevent enabling enhancement of human potentials in a way reserved in the past to mystics, religious figures, and those who sought to change people. An eerie parallel between the Bush administration and the Third Reich, according to Mars, involved the leader principle, which was outlined in Hitler's book Mein Kampf. This principle stated that the leader embodied National Socialism and therefore the people. All decision-making rested with him. Such thinking evolves from a lack of trust in people. National Socialism, like our democracy, was supposedly a movement of the masses, but its leadership had little faith in its followers, according to Mars. So what did George Bush do? Under his presidency, he called for a unified presidency, as well as his comment to reporters in April 2006. I hear voices, and I read the front page, and I know the speculation, but I'm the decider, and I decide what is best. I mean, that's as narcissistic as it comes. So we look at then back in the day, Thomas Paine wrote in Common Sense, in America, law is king. For as an absolute government, the king is law. 
So in free countries, the law ought to be king, and there ought to be no other. In other words, no one is above the law. And that's definitely not our system. Because look at that good old boy, Hunter Biden, running around with his crack pipes and all that stuff. But yet Joe Biden wants to put anybody in the city, any normal person in jail for the rest of their lives for one crack rock. Jungle out there, right, Joe? The U.S. Patriot Act pushed through by a cowed Congress with little or no input, likewise took the powers from the representatives of the people. A panicky House of Representatives, still in shock over 9-11 and the, oh, those wonderful fake anthrax attacks, they rushed the Patriot Act into law by a vote of 339 to 79. Whoever those 79 are deserve a medal. The act was 342 pages long and made changes, both great and small, to more than 15 different U.S. laws, and many of them enacted following revelations about the misuse of surveillance powers by the FBI and CIA. It was hurriedly and enthusiastically signed into law by President Bush on my birthday in 2001, October 26, 2001. The speed with which I wasn't born in 2001, I wish I was, but many years before that. The speed with which its legislation was presented to Congress left little doubt in many minds it had been long prepared and simply needed some provocation as an impetus for action. You don't say. Is that the Hegelian dialect? Problem, action, solution? Where they already had the solution, now they needed the problem. 9-11 fit that problem. Most Americans would be surprised to learn that since March 9th, 1933, the United States has been in a state of declared national emergency. Since 1933, we've been in a state of emergency. Why is this important? Well, because under the powers delegated by these statutes, the president may seize property, organize and control the means of production, seize commodities, assign military forces abroad, institute martial law, seize and control all transportation and communication, regulate the operation of private enterprise, restrict travel, and in a plethora of particular ways, control the lives of American citizens, like we saw with the lockdowns, with the mandates, all that bullshit. They tried as hard as they could. We've been living under a state of emergency since 9-11-2001. Bush here, uh, said, hereby declare that the national emergency has existed since nine, uh, since yeah, 9-11-2001 in pursuant of the National Emergencies Act. With this proclamation, Bush activated what the media called the shadow government. Those unelected officials and appointees who, under the guidance of his father, like Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, Wolfowitz, all these guys, had years earlier began to alter the form of this former republic, including the use of warrantless electronic surveillance by the NSA. In 2007, Bush codified the shadow government with the ominously worded and innocently titled National Continuity Policy. In the interest of continuity of government, this directive stated, the president shall lead activities of the federal government for ensuring constitutional government. Bush has stated, I have an obligation to make sure that the presidency remains robust and that the legislative branch doesn't end up running the executive branch. So John W. Dean, the White House counsel to Nixon, said the institutional powers of the presidency all but overwhelm those of Congress. They are, in fact, stronger today than 30 years ago. 
to claim a need for secrecy to restore presidential power is disingenuous at best and a deliberate falsehood at worst. Secrecy is the way of dictatorships, not democracy. And that's spot on right there. Secrecy is the way of dictatorships. And 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 no dissent, not allowing dissent from the party line. That's a dis- dictatorship. Bush's secretive manner of drawing ever more power unto himself came in the form of signing statements. Okay, it sounds like executive orders. Written responses by the president issued upon signing of a bill into law from 1817 until the end of the Carter administration in 1981. Okay, so we're talking about what, 165 years? Only 75 signing statements were issued. From Reagan administration, okay, until the end of the Clinton administration, so we're talking about 20 years, there was 322. That's almost five times as much in an eighth of the time. But in the first term alone, Bush issued at least 435 signing statements. It's exactly what Biden did when he got in with his executive orders, right? The astronomical numbers, he couldn't even sign them as fast as they were creating them. So Mars goes on to say the attacks of 9-11 and the Reichstag fire, Bush's Patriot Act and Hitler's Enabling Act, the use of German Iranian reserves to attack Poland and Bush's use of reserves in Afghanistan and Iraq to avoid military draft must have seemed quite familiar to them. German Justice Minister uh, Hertha Dauber Gemellen in September of 2002. Bush wants to distract attention from his domestic problems. That's a popular method. Even Hitler did that. Well, I mean, that's a lots of leaders tend to do that, right? That's what Biden has done. His whole presidency is just distract us with other things. Misdirection. All right. So now let's get into some propaganda, right? This is something not Nazis excelled at. And it's something our government is pretty piss poor at. They put a lot of it out, but it's garbage. Tool of public control, quickly understood and well utilized by the Nazis of the Third Reich was propaganda. In the 1952 edition of the New Webster's uh, Encyclopedic Dictionary, it defined propaganda as the dissemination of and the defense of beliefs, opinions, or actions deemed salutary to the program of particular group, the propagation of doctrines and tenets of special interests as an effort to give credence to information partially or wholly fallacious. A more diluted definition was given in the 1996 edition of the Reader's Digest Oxford Complete Word Finder, which merely stated it was an organized par- a program of publicity, selected information, used to propagate a doctrine or practice. Here we go. Words change meanings. The media may not always be able to tell us what to think, but they are strikingly successful in telling us what to think about. Right? That's what they do. They they might not tell you how to think about it, but now they tell you how to think about it too. And if you don't agree, ooh, terrorists. Conspiracy theorists, the labels come flying. Why, of course, people don't want war. That is understood, right? But after all, it is the leaders of the country who determine the policy. It is always a simple matter to drag people along. 
whether it's a democracy or a fascist dictatorship or a parliament or a communist dictatorship, voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to the hiding of uh, to the bidding of leaders. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them that they are being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. Conspiracy researchers believe such methodology has been used on the American public. Conspiracy researchers, I would say anyone with a brain would see that that's what's done to the American public. By 2008, six multinational, and we've gone over this before, six multinational corporations controlled almost everything the average American reads, sees, or hears. Six companies own all communication at the mercy of the corporate-controlled mass media. A Center for Public Integrity investigation of campaign contributions through November 2006 showed that the communications industry has spent $486 billion, a million in 1997 to affect the election outcomes and influence legislation before Congress and the White House. So we see it on Big Pharma, and now we're seeing it on the media. Everybody feeds these people. They found that hard news stories, which constituted more than half of all news stories reports 30 years ago, today have fallen less than one third. So there's no new hard stories anymore. It's entertainment. It's not even news anymore. It's entertainment. Distraction, ignorance, and fear are all integral parts of the fascist globalist plan for the new American empire. At the start of the 20th century, all great political movements are generated by myths defined as the belief held by a group who believe themselves to be an army of truth fighting an army of evil. Look at BLM. Look at MAGA. Look at Antifa. Look at the Q movement. They all fall into this. The myth of America's God-ordained right to create an empire which has launched worldwide war for an American-style freedom and democracy is bullshit. The ownership of the corporations that today control the information available to the broadest portion of the public can be traced back to the same families and companies who backed Hitler. That's a little bit of a stretch. Some of them, yes. Not all of them. 60 Minutes correspondent Morley Safer said, I challenge any viewer to make the distinction between TV talk show host Jerry Springer and the three evening newses and CNN. That's it right there. There's no difference. It's all entertainment. But one presents itself as fact. Jerry Springer, everybody knows it's an act. But the news, they're supposed to be journalists. But they're bringing us more bullshit than ever. Official government pronouncements are merely broadcast uncritically with very little effort to check their reliability. And they did that throughout the pandemic and they're doing it today. Nobody checks the 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 veracity of the report, the, the reliability of the report. The Nazis brought complex social and economic issues down to one single concept, the Aryan German in a death struggle with the international Jew. Nearly the same concept is widespread in America, the freedom-loving American in a war on terror with Muslim fanatics. Such us-against-them mentality has been used by despots for centuries to rally populations behind them. Guys, we're seeing it again, Right? They just blew up another terrorist, supposedly, in Afghanistan. So they they won't let the whole terrorist aspect go. 
but that's another one they used as a as a front to cover what they're really doing. So the corporate media owners, many of them members or close associates with the globalists in the secret societies, they have learned lessons from the Nazis' media manipulation as well by using simplistic catchwords, right? Safe and effective, all these things. Repeated constantly, build back better with no real opposing viewpoints allowed. And and think about the terminology they use. Like when we were at war, they were insurgents. It was an offensive massacre, right? They 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 love to use the terms, but the, the real thing is the catchphrases that they use. Operation Iraqi Freedom, right? Like Iraq needed to be liberated. The Iraqis were fine until we came in. Media manipulation in the United States today is more efficient than it was in Nazi Germany because here we have the pretense that we are getting all the information we want. That misconception prevents people from even looking at the truth, says Professor Mark Crispin Miller of NYU, who specializes in propaganda in the media. The U.S. economy threatens to topple, like that of post-World War I Germany. In the time of virtually... Uh, universal economic ruin, it was far easier to sell an ideology that which supported the extermination of the social and political and inevitably economic dead weight. Oh, that's the pandemic, right? It was all to get rid of dead weight, reduce the population, get rid of some of the elderly, the sick, the weak, those most vulnerable. Rex Toom, FBI chief, of investigative publicity stated the reason why 9-11 is not mentioned on Osama bin Laden's most wanted page is because the FBI has no hard evidence connecting bin Laden to 9-11. That's interesting. I haven't really looked into it that much because I don't really care about that because I think that's a whole nother story. Because we know Bin Laden worked for the CIA in the 80s. So the real conspiracy theory accepted by... Yeah, now this is it. The real conspiracy theory is the theory is the the, the one that we're supposed to accept from the mainstream media. That's a conspiracy theory. Because that took a lot of people to come together and plan that story out. The real conspiracy theory accepted by the Bush administration and the corporate mass media contends that 19 fanatical Muslims somehow overcame the $40 billion U.S. defense system, simultaneously hijacked four commercial airliners, managing to disconnect their transponders at approximately the same time, and crashed them into the World Trade Center towers, the Pentagon, and the fourth crashed in Pennsylvania's field, but yet there was no debris. No luggage, no body parts, nothing. The entire operation conducted under the command of a Muslim cleric using a computer in a cave in Afghanistan. And this doesn't even mention Tower 6 or Tower 7. So somehow two planes took down four buildings in New York City. Somehow a plane, a a, a part-time plane operator, pulled off one of the most expert maneuvers ever to have that plane hit the Pentagon like a missile, 
Now, this is what's interesting. In, in five years after 9-11, MSV, M- MSNBC question of the day poll asked, do you believe any 9-11 conspiracy theories that indicate the U.S. government was involved? Okay. So do you think the U.S. government was involved in 9-11? 58% say, yes, I believe there's evidence. 30% say, no, that's ridiculous. 11, not sure. So 69% are at least open to the idea that the government was involved in 9-11. It's crazy. Crazy. All right. So now let's look at, wrap it up here with, with what Mars's, uh, yeah, what Mars's conclusions are. Okay. So he says individuals are computerized, database, logged, and categorized. Video cameras, motion sensors, metal detectors, and spy satellites monitor our movements, while think tanks and foundations study our every habit. We are constantly bombarded with the official pronouncements and advertising. Television is everywhere in bars, waiting rooms, airports, and usually constantly on in our very own living rooms. In our fast-paced society, no one has time to think, much less read deeply. I can't argue with that because all of that is true right there. Absolutely 100% true. Business, especially corporate business, is king. That's true, too. The American taxpayer is footing the bill. Facts. Even though, as convincingly shown by Aaron Russo's 2006 documentary, America, Freedom to Fascism, there is no law requiring Americans to pay an income tax. Of course, the IRS, though, through its myriad of rules and regulations, can drag into court and even jail those who fail to fulfill voluntary compliance. Fascism's principles are wafting in the air today, surreptitiously masquerading as something else, challenging everything we stand for, according to Dr. Lawrence Britt. So Dr. Lawrence Britt has 14 characteristics of a fascist regime. Let's go through them real quick. Powerful and continuing expressions of nationalism. Not in America today. Disdain for the importance of human rights. Uh, Yeah, yeah, they don't care about our human rights. I Identification of enemies, scapegoats as a unifying cause. Russia bad man, right? Putin. Don't blame, don't don't look at us. The supremacy of the military and avid militarism. We are based on the military. Rampant sexism. I don't think there's rampant sexism in the country. I mean, the feminists would disagree, but I I don't see that at all. A controlled mass media, definitely. Obsession with national security. Well, they act like it so they can funnel more money. Do they really care about national security? Biden's just letting people flow through the border. Flow through it. That's not something a fascist would do. A fascist would run tight borders, controlling their population. Religion and ruling elite tied together. Well, yeah, I mean, our government does have our 501c3 churches by the balls. So, yeah. Power of corporations protected? Absolutely. Power of labor suppressed and eliminated? Absolutely. What did they do during the pandemic? Shut down all small, quote-unquote, what is a non-essential business? How does one determine if something is essential or non-essential? Target's essential, but Joe and Lori's IGA is not essential? Go figure. Disdain and suppression of intellectuals and the arts. Oh, absolutely. Obsession with crime and punishment. They love, yes. Rampant cronyism and corruption. That's the definition of America right now is rampant cronyism and corruption. 
and fraudulent elections. Boom. Need I say more? Many Americans notice the similarities between George W. Bush's unprovoked attacks in Afghanistan and Iraq and Hitler's unprovoked attacks on Poland and the Low Countries in France. The Center for Public Integrity noted uh, 935 false statements by the Bush administration in the months leading up to the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Nine, almost a thousand lies told by the government to get us in the 2003 invasion of Iraq. So they needed, they, they had to lie. This is what they do. Now do COVID, please do it. How many lies did they have to lay in the last two years? I mean, I can look at Biden, Trump. They all fucking lied. It's ridiculous. By comparing Brit's characteristics of fascism to current events, the argument can definitely be made that a globalist fascists are turning the once free and independent United States into a not-so-profitable subsidiary, subsidiary of their global corporate structure, their empire of the rich. Yeah, that's absolutely what's happening in America right now. We must support our government, but we must be ready to criticize it or even defy it when necessary. Patriotism is commendable when it is for a just cause. Every nation has the right to defend itself, the right to expect the government to do what is best for its citizens. However, if the German church has taught us dangers of blind obedience to the government, we must eschew the mindless philosophy, my country, right or wrong. And that's where I am, guys. I love America. I love Americans. I am disgusted by our government. I am disgusted by our politicians. I am disgusted by many on the police force. Disgusted. It's just, come on. We're better than that. To oppose policies of a government does not mean you are against the country or the people the government supposedly represents, right? That's what I'm just saying. Such opposition should be called what it really is. It's democracy or democratic dissent or having a critical perspective about what your leaders are doing. Either way, we have the right to democratic dissent and criticism of these policies, or we all lie down and let the leader, the Fuhrer, do what is best, while we follow uncritically and obey whatever he commands. That's just what the Germans did with Hitler. Look where it got them. And that's what a lot of people did during the pandemic. They just believed whatever these people behind a podium or on the black mirror said and didn't look into any of it by themselves. And many of them are going to pay the price in the long run. And that's sad and that sucks. But guess what? It's called thinning the herd. Political correctness, which has entered today's discourse, is defined by Merriam-Webster's Dictionary as conforming to a belief that language and practices which could offend political uh, sensibilities as in a matter of race or sex, should be eliminated. Recent legislation targeting so-called hate speech can easily slip into an official punitive action against any speech that arouses the ire of politicians, police, or judges. It's a real slippery slope, guys. Being able to target hate speech, I mean, it's because what's hate speech? And Jonathan Rock in Harper's Magazine noted that equating verbal violence with physical violence is a treacherous, mischievous business. It is. Words, we cannot put the same value on words that we do on legitimate violence. They're just words. The globalist rulers of America pit bureaucrats, politicians, academics, corporate leaders, and the public against one another in an agenda to divide and conquer. Absolutely. 
They maintain control in a society fragmented by combative ideologies and philosophies, as well as competing corporate interests. Yeah. In today's America, it seems the only common denominator is consumerism and debt. Debt slavery. That's what we are. I mean, I've done after the after my divorce, that's that was my main goal was to eliminate the majority of my debt. And for the first time in my life, I have eliminated other than my car payment and some small credit cards. I'm trying to get out of that debt, staying away from it. I don't want to borrow anymore, but that's the system we are in because that's where they make money off. Usury. 1997, The Beast Reawakens, Martin Lee wrote, fascism is on the march again. Unchecked corporate power has, to a significant degree, uh, stultified the democratic process. And fascist groups in Europe and the United States feed upon this malaise. The biggest stumbling block uh, to the plans of the globalists has always been the United States with its tradition and individual freedom, its constitution that guarantees that freedom and the fact that so many Americans own firearms to protect their freedoms. But true freedom is a transient quality. National politicians no longer refer to the Republic because modern America has ceased to be one. It is now an empire, a new Reich, according to Mars. And it definitely isn't a republic anymore. And it hasn't been for a very long time. Now, a Reich, I I mean, if we go back to that original definition of Reich, it could fall under there. But I don't think it's the same in the same Reich as, as the Third Reich in the same terms. But it's demonstrated how the same philosophies and methodologies employed by the same families, corporations, and organizations that at one time supported Hitler's Third Reich have now found roots in modern America. It has been necessary for these fascist globalists to break up the United States into divisions of race, sex, age, generation, and culture. This has been accomplished through the degrading of popular culture, downgrading the education process, permitting a steady flow of illegal immigration, and the fragmentation of population over such abortion issues as abortion, immigration, non-heterosexual relationships, and foreign policy. And that's what they've done, guys. It's division. They divide us on anything they can. Eggs versus no eggs. White versus black. Red versus green. Right? It's it's all stupid. It's all created. It's all fabricated and, and blown up more than it really is. The global national socialists, the Nazis, are in it for the long haul. The owners of the multinational corporations with their memberships and secret societies know their goals will not be achieved overnight. Okay, so FDR, President FDR, who had to deal with the previous New World Order, according to Mars, in 1940 address, he said, they may talk of a new world, new world, new order in the world, but what they have in mind is only a revival of the oldest and worst tyranny in that there is no liberty, no religion, no hope. The proposed new order is the very opposite of the United States of Europe or United States of Asia. It is not a government based upon uh, consent of the governed. It is not a union of the ordinary, self-respecting men and women who protect themselves and their freedom and their dignity from oppression. It is an unholy alliance of power to and self to dominate 
and enslave the human race. And that's exactly what it is. It's to set up, it's the ultimate class warfare. It's the haves versus the have-nots. And that's what the new world order is going to be. It's going to be those who have and the rest of us. It appears, according to Mars, that the new world order is just really the old world order, packaged with modern advertising slickness, new names, logos, and slogans. What was once traditional American conservatism has been molded into fascist forms, beginning with the infusion of the national socialist ideals into military industrial complex, which spread into science, corporate life, the mass media, and even the political parties. This change has engineered by the globalist elite who hold monopolies over basic resources, energy, pharmaceuticals, transportation, and telecommunications, including news media. Thousands of Nazis escaped both North and South America, their way facilitated by supporters in Wall Street, the Bank of England, and the Vatican. Is the new American empire, as it is described in numerous books and articles, in danger of becoming an empire of the wealthy, a fascist Fourth Reich? Hitler's thousand-year Reich collapsed after a mere 12 years. How long before the end of the New World Order's Fourth Reich in America? And you're kind of seeing that right now. We're starting to see the the devolvement, the collapse of America. And, and, and a lot of this country, I mean, financially has been based on a sham for years. I mean, the fiat currency is a joke. Always has been, always will. I mean, they, they tell you they can just, when they need more money, they can just print it, print more of it. Well, if they can do that, why can't we? Well, well, well yeah, exactly. Because if, if we do the same thing that they do, we will just show that how useless their currency is. It's backed by nothing. It's backed by promises. It's backed by our bodies, basically. It's what they gamble on. But overall, guys, I, do, I, I don't see America as the Fourth Reich. And in fact, I, I mean, America, they're trying to collapse it as we speak. You're seeing Russia and China coming together and building their new current, building some new currencies based on earth elements and we're going to see the dollars on the border crashing the housing markets on the verge of crashing the stock markets on the verge of crashing the entire economy's on the verge of crashing but yet we're not in a recession it's a transition guys but there are powers that be that want this place done and 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 i think when you look at it, the whole new world order thing is just, that's about the power of, of a few, that a few that get to make decisions for the entire world. Now, the Reich, you know, we go back to that first episode and they didn't really have the support of the banks, you know, or they did. And then the banks did not want to support them anymore. And that's when Hitler was removed, so to speak. And if this is the fourth Reich, right is does that mean that they have to carry over the values of the third reich which would be anti-semitism and this if this is the fourth reich it is loaded with jews and jewish business owners everything so that whole concept of it just falls apart and we get into the health right the nazis wanted their people the ones that they wanted to keep they wanted them healthy they wouldn't have poisoned them like our government does to us today there are some very very close similarities but when it boils down to it we are not in the fourth reich here in america we're not in a republic either we're in some shit show in between so guys i've been on this now for a good 
over six hours of Jim Mars. And honestly, I really enjoyed this book. And I really thought that you people needed to hear a lot of this because I did a lot of this was new to me and, and some of it's a little out there. Yeah. Right. And, and I'll point that out, but at the same time, there's a lot of connections here that people have to start making. And once we start making those connections, it's going to start exposing a lot more people and making more people aware of how we got where we are today. I mean, I was in the gym today and I, I started talking to a guy and uh, just a random guy came up to me and was asking me some questions about working out. And then all of a sudden he looked at my shirt and saw my podcast shirt, Great Deception podcast t-shirt on. And he's like, what's that about? I'm like, oh, I got a podcast where I, you know, talk shit about the government and uh, we do some conspiracy stuff, but I, I like talk about the old world and stuff. He's like, oh, you into, you into the, the, the chemtrails? My guy, I don't really get into it, but you know, there's a guy, Matt Landman, who you can watch his uh, Frankenstein's video. And he's like, oh yeah, man, I know all about, uh, you know, they're spraying aluminum and they're spraying all sorts of chemicals. And he's like, I've had my, my soil tested in my backyard. And, and this guy knew his shit. And he said his family comes to him when they have questions about stuff like this. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm all about it. So I gave him the, the podcast, told him to check it out and see what he thinks. And but it was cool talking to somebody again, another guy. He's a, he was a crane operator who, uh, you know, very based, very grounded and saw what was happening. And was, you know, we were bouncing ideas off each other as to what we should do. You know, he was talking about his retirement. He was on, on the verge of retirement. So talking about what, what should I do with my retirement funds? You know, and I'm, I'm saying, you know, I, I'm not investing in Bitcoin. Don't listen to me because I don't give financial advice. I have the worst financial portfolio of anyone in this planet probably i mean been through a divorce and all that happy stuff so i'm no one to give financial advice but if i had a good retirement plan i you know i'd start investing in some tangible things because one of the scary things that he said to me was he went to his bank and wanted to take out all the money and they were fighting him tooth and nail to not take out his money and that's scary guys why won't the banks let you take out your money? Because they don't have anything to back it against. So, hey, you got to be careful. But at the same time, I don't think this whole thing is going to collapse and be this doom and gloom. I think if it collapses, I think something beautiful can arise from it. And I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm praying for. And that's what I'm fighting for every day is better. Spread love, not fear. You know, help people out. Help each other. You know, smile. Hold the door for somebody. Say hi. You know, give someone a, a stranger a compliment. Watch how, how that can change. Just one person's day, man. You never know. That butterfly effect's a beautiful thing. One That one little vibration you send out in that universe could end up being the one that changes everything. That's enough for this episode. Jim Mars, Rise of the Fourth Reich. Great book. Don't necessarily agree. Go check it out. Leave some feedback. Share it. Leave a review. Go check out the Patreon. Like I said, we have all the videos of the Monday Night Master Debaters. I'm putting some books out there, some PDFs of books. If there's any questions you have or books you're looking for, let me know. I might have them in, in the PDF library I got going and starting to build up. And like I said, merch, t-shirts, comfortable t-shirts. I am wearing one right now. And I love my welcome to the jungle shirt my favorite one honestly though is the 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 logo shirt of the show um 
I like the question everything one and just the logo on the front. Those two I, I wear a lot. Yeah. And with that said, guys, we're going to get back. Ne- I promise. Next episode, I have a article from, uh, let me see where it's even from, a little description of the great world. And we're going to get into that. And they have a good 10 pages on Tartaria. What they thought, what they, his account of it was, and this is from 1629. So we're going to get back to the old world, guys. I've had enough of the Nazis. Like I said, we're going back to my bread and butter, the stuff that I enjoy. Um, I've got some good stuff on some world fairs I want to go over with you too. I've been doing some research into that. We've got the old world. With that said, guys, stay strong and question everything. With Mr. Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmianov. Mr. Bezmianov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti, which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, activne meropriyatia in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. 
A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense, an economy. Uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis to promise people all kinds of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with uh, benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. Your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, non, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist. He was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karman with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Mujibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The, the time bomb is ticking with every second. The disaster is coming closer and closer. Unlike myself, you will have nowhere to defect.